Okay, I lied last week. It wasn't really like a premeditated lie, really, because I, I intended not to preach on John another time. But I was shared with the congregation this morning. I went jogging Tuesday morning, and I was asking the Lord where He wanted me to go. What do you want me to preach next? And He says, we're not through with John. So, I'm still in John. I'm still in John. This will be my 77th sermon on the Gospel of John. And I was thinking, it, it's comparable to a thimble of water as weighed against all the oceans of the world. Um, I, haven't begin, I haven't begun to touch the hem of Jesus Christ's garment. And I had to say this to you one more time. John, like no other book in all the Bible, holds Jesus up so high and so lofty. And I just had to say this to you one more time. See how beautiful He is. See how stunning He is. See how spectacular He is. See how magnificent He is. See how wonderful He is. See how awesome He is. See how breathtakingly desirable Jesus Christ is. This is what John is doing. He's holding up the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I feel a little bit like the four living creatures around the throne of God in Revelation 4. You may remember the text says that they, they were full of eyes all around and within. And they needed every one of those eyes. I, I bet they wish they had one more. How many eyes do you need to look at infinite beauty? How many eyes does it take to see infinite beauty. Revelation 4.8 says this, And day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was, who, pardon me, who, who was and who is and who is to come. For a billion eternities, ever since these beings have been created, they've just been doing one thing. They've been looking at God. And they're not through looking at God. One of my seminary professors said a, a, a very thought-provoking and captivating thing. He said, he said, if you went up and tapped one of these guys on the shoulder, do you think he would turn around? And the breathtaking answer is no. He would not turn around. He's not through looking at Jehovah God. He cannot not look at the beauty and the majesty of Jehovah God. I guess I'm like one of those creatures because I could not leave John. I could not not leave John. As you know, the book of John, it just simply holds Jesus up. It just simply holds Him up. And, and I'm not ready to take my eyes off of Him yet. Not that, I, not that we don't see Him all over the pages of Scripture, but I, I just could, I couldn't leave the Gospel of John. I, I have to confess to you, I am awestruck. And I want to say to you, if you can read through the Gospel of John and not be awestruck, there's something wrong. You're not, you're not hearing it or you're not understanding it or you just are not believing it. Because the Gospel of John tells us that God has become a man. God has taken on flesh. John 1, verse 1 and 14. In the beginning was the Word... And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh 
and dwelt among us. There are 77 more sermons right there. Immortal, invisible, alpha, omega, infinite, eternal, almighty, awesome God is laying in a manger. If you're not awestruck by that, I, I don't really know what to say. I don't really know what to say. You know, Charles Spurgeon said it so well, that 19th century English preacher. And he said it quite succinctly. He said, Jesus is eternal yet born, infinite yet infant, almighty yet suckled, upholding a universe yet laying in a manger. And if this is a fairy tale, it matters not. It's like thousands of other legends and fables and lies and myths that men have conjured up and believed. But if it's true, if God has taken on flesh, if God is laying in a manger, if God has become a man, then He matters more than anything else in your life. He matters more than everything else in your life. Because if God has come down to men as a man, we're all caught up in this, friends. It means something to you personally. It means something to every man and woman on the planet. If God has come in the flesh, it changes everything. It changes everything for everybody. And I've told you this many times as we've gone through the Gospel of John, that, that John has an aim. He's aiming at you and he's aiming at me. John 20, 31, these things have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. God means for you to believe it. This is not just another legend, another myth, another yarn, another lie. This is the truth and God means for you to live it. And you know what else? He means... He means for you to believe it, and He means for you to live it. He not only means for you to believe that Jesus is the Christ, He means for you to live like Jesus is the Christ. In chapter 1, I, and I'm just going to like flow through the book, so you're not going to be able to see where I am. So, you know, It's not like I normally do when I just preach a couple of verses and you're, we're on a, one text. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to hit some points that were meaningful to me this last week as I thought about the Gospel of John and what we've seen uh, these last uh, years as we've gone through this book. In John chapter 1, Jesus encounters John and Andrew and Philip and Peter and Nathaniel, and He says these two beautiful words to them. Does anybody remember what He says to them? Is that not an awesome thing? That God calls sinful men to follow Him. To me, to me, this is an awesome thing. And you know what? This is what He's saying to us. He means for you and I to go with Him. He means for you and I to walk with Him. Not in some merely religious way, but wholeheartedly. We know how Jesus feels about lukewarm religion, don't we? He makes it very clear in the Revelation. 
He says, I'll spew you out of my mouth. Oh, that you were hot or cold. Oh, that you were hot or cold. Jesus is calling men and women who will passionately, extravagantly, and wholeheartedly go with Him. That's the call of Christianity. We've talked about it a lot in the Gospel of John. Christianity is not dead legalism. And dead religion, that's not Christianity. Now we know that the world has tried to co-opt the gospel and they've turned it into dead religion, but that is not what biblical Christianity is. It's alive and it's passionate. And the men and women that follow Christ must be alive. They can't be lukewarm. I promise you, you can't go where Christ is going to call you to go. If you go lukewarmly, Jesus doesn't offer lukewarm life. He offers eternal life, limitless life, God-sized life. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and that you might have it lukewarmly. Is that what He said? I came that you might have life and you might have God-sized life. This is what Jesus is saying. That you might have it abundantly, overflowing. No lukewarmers need apply. Jesus, uh, we saw His first miracle. It's an awesome thing. You know, I've actually read commentaries that talk about Jesus' first miracle and say, well, this is kind of a, a trivial thing. You remember what Jesus' first miracle was? Okay, He, 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 created, wa he created wine from water, right? He turned the water into wine. Now, where did He do this? At a wedding. Guess what? Jesus is saying something huge. What is he saying? The bridegroom's here. The bridegroom's here. And I've come to sweep the bride off her feet. And who's the bride? You and me. The church. He says, I've come for my bride and I'm going to sweep her off her feet. And she's going to love me eternally just like I love her. And he changes the water into wine. And, and, and Jesus says, it's all going to change. No more dead religion anymore. It's all going to change. I bring life and joy to men. And Jesus fulfills Zechariah 10.7. And in their heart will, they will be glad as if from wine. Their hearts will rejoice in the Lord. Jesus Christ says it's all going to change. He comes and He comes to a wedding and He turns water into wine. What an awesome symbol for you and I. The joy and the life of God have come down to men. And it is free for every man or woman who will repent and believe. What a beautiful message. What a beautiful message. And this is the message Jesus gives to Nicodemus. This elitist, uh, box-checking, rule-keeping religionist. He's at the top of the food chain. He's pretty proud of himself. And I think he comes out to just have a nice theological exchange with Jesus Christ. And Jesus looks him in the eye and he says, Man, your religion's no good. You need to be born again. Your religion's not going to get you in the kingdom of heaven. You must be born again. Nicodemus, you need a miracle. You need a miracle so big that God's going to have to do it in you. You need to be God begotten. Is what... The Lord Jesus actually says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You need to put down your dead religion and you need to come with me. You need to follow me, Nicodemus. And then we see this, this beautiful thing over in John 4. And I've always loved John 4. 4. I've always loved this text. 
Jesus must needs go through Samaria. Now, no Jew ever went through Samaria. You guys know the story. No Jew ever would go through Samaria. There was like three different routes to Samaria, uh, from, from Judea to Galilee. And no Jew would ever go through Samaria. But the text said Jesus must needs go through Samaria. So why must Jesus go through Samaria? He's got a divine appointment with a woman at a well. And I love this. Jesus Christ never misses His divine appointments with His people. He's come to get a worshiper. He's come to get one of His sheep. And you remember, He started to talk to her about living water. And you remember she asked for the living water. And what was the first thing the Master Evangelist said to this woman when she asked for the living water? He said, go call your husband. What was the problem there? She didn't have one. She was living with a man. So we see this over and over again in, in the life of Jesus Christ. He loves men and women so much, he goes right to the heart of their sin. And he says, you know what, woman? You can't desire a man more than you desire me. Nicodemus, you can't love your religion more than you love me. And we talked about the rich young ruler uh, several months ago. Rich young ruler, you can't love your money more than you love me. Go sell all that you have and follow me. Jesus loved men and women. He loved them enough to call them out of the trap. That, you know, when you see somebody drinking from a toxic well, do you not care enough to say to them, that is death? And Jesus did. He says, sin is death. The wages of sin is what? Death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Henry, uh, I have a hard time with this guy's name. Henry Scrugel, we'll call it that. Um, he was an 18th century preacher and he said this. He said, the soul of man hath in it a raging and inextinguishable thirst. Did you know that about yourself? You know that about yourself, don't you? You know you are a desire machine, don't you? You know you desire, you desire, you desire, and you're trying to find something to fill up that desire. Guess what? Jesus is here. He's the living water. And He says, I am the eternal quencher of souls. I am the living water. In John 6, we see another powerful metaphor that Jesus uses. You remember, there were 5,000 men and probably, by the time you add in the women and the children, probably ten to 15,000 people. And you may, you may remember Jesus turned to Philip and He said, How much bread will it take to feed these? Where will we get enough bread to feed these? And what does Philip say? Two hundred denarii would not buy enough bread to feed this multitude. And Andrew walked up and he'd found you know, five loaves and, and two fish. And, and Andrew said, But what is this for so many people? It's impossible. Philip said, we don't have enough money. Andrew said, we don't have enough food. Jesus says, have the people sit, have the people sit down. And I, I can imagine these guys, I can imagine the butterflies start in them because they know something awesome is about to happen. And Jesus says, just have the people sit down because I'm going to teach my 12 guys a lesson. Nothing is impossible with me. I'm God. And Jesus puts His Creator 
uh, abilities on display and he creates out of five loaves and two fishes, he, he creates enough food to feed 10 to 15,000 people. And what was the object lesson? The 12 disciples walked away with what? 12 baskets of leftovers. Nothing is impossible with me, Jesus says. He says, I am the bread of life. That's what he said. I am the bread of life. I satisfy the souls of men. What an awesome, awesome thing. And you remember the multitudes, they loved his miracles and they loved his free bread, but they hated his words and they begin to withdraw from him. And we see this all the way through the gospel. The false disciple will always declare themselves because they will always withdraw from Jesus Christ. Now they may still attend church, but they'll withdraw. They'll no longer have a conversation with him. They'll no longer seek him. They'll no longer be in his word. They'll no longer be concerned about obeying him. The false disciple will always declare himself because they will back off. They will pull away. And we saw it in Judas's life, didn't we? Everyone thought Judas was real. But at the last minute, Judas backed off. And we see this over and over in the Scriptures. And you remember Jesus looked at the twelve and He said, Do you want to go too? And what did they say? What did Peter say? Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words. You have the words of life. And Jesus tells us what a true Christian looks like in John 8. Uh, in John chapter 8, He says, If you abide in My Word, then you are truly Mine. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And I just wanted to share with you, if, if you look at this Greek word translated abide, it's, it's the Greek word meno. And all you have to do is go look at a Greek lexicon. And here's what it says. It means to sojourn in the Word of God. It means to dwell in the Word of God. It means to tarry in the Word of God. It means to stay in the Word of God. It means to be held captive by the Word of God. It means to live in the Word of God. And I want to ask you, where did this this false and tragic and damning notion ever come from that you can call yourself a Christian but never obey Jesus Christ? Where did that come from? Not from the Bible. It came from dead religion. It didn't come from the Bible. Jesus says, if you're mine, you will abide in my word. Are you his disciple? Are you his disciple tonight? Friend, John 8, 58, the religious leaders continue to hound him and challenge him. And Jesus just turns around and he says, before Abraham was, I am. I've always loved that. And every Jew that heard it knew what he was saying. He's saying, I'm the God that spoke a billion galaxies into existence. I'm the God that called Abraham. I'm the God that met with Moses. I'm the God that gave the law. I'm the God that called you out of Egypt with mighty works. I'm the God that gave you the promised land. I am, says Jesus Christ. I am. And here's the line of demarcation for every human being. Do you believe it? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? That He is the Son of God? I've shared this with you before. The C.S. Lewis is, is right on the money here. He says you cannot merely believe that He's a good moral teacher or a prophet. 
because he claimed to be God. No good moral teacher or prophet would ever claim to be God. So Jesus Christ, he's left us two options. You decide. He's either God or he's a lunatic. There's nowhere in between. You know, there's, there's, never, any, there's never any middle ground with him. Never. Jesus Christ, he's either God, he is who he said he is, or he's a raging lunatic. Those are your options, friends. It's your choice. John 9, Jesus gives a man born blind his sight. And he says this beautiful thing. Remember what he says? I am the light of the world. And so we see these elements that Jesus has, has likened to spiritual life. He says, I am living water. He says, I am uh, the bread of life. And then he says, he says I am the, these elements that we must have to live physically, bread, water, light. Jesus says, I'm all of those things to your soul. I'm all those things to your soul. I have everything you need. Everything your soul wants, I'm it. We were made by Him and what? For Him. And, and Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes that, that the Lord God has put eternity in the heart of man. And friends, no sin or pleasure will ever fill you up. There's only one being who can fill you up. And it's the one, He's the one that made you. And His name is Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I'm everything you need. John 10. Oh, I've, I love John 10, the good shepherd. And you remember when we, when we saw John 10, we, we talked about how the Jewish shepherd, how he loved his sheep and how he cared for his sheep, how he guarded his sheep, how he had a special name for each one, how he examined each one every day to see if he was injured or hurt in some way. And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I'm not just a shepherd. I am the good shepherd. He loves his sheep. You know how well he knows you? He knows how many hairs you have on your head. The good shepherd loves his sheep. David understood, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I will never, ever, ever want. He fills my soul up every single day. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He's my good shepherd. And He lays down His life. He lays down His life for me. The good shepherd lays down His life for His sheep. We've made much of this the last couple of months as we've talked about the cross. Jesus didn't get cornered and end up on the cross. Jesus came to go to the cross for His sheep, right? Our great warrior shepherd has come to joyously, Hebrews 12, to lay His life down for His people. I, this is why I can't leave John. What, what, what did the song say? When I in awesome Wonder, consider all that you have done. I couldn't leave John. And he became a man. He's nailed on a cross. And Jesus says, no man takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own initiative. Our awesome 
warrior God. And I, I shared this with you as we went through John 10. And I, I said, here's, here's Christianity. Here's biblical Christianity in one verse. All you've got to do is remember one verse. You need, to, you need to study the rest of them. But when someone says, what does a real Christian look like? It's John 10, 27. It's John 10, 27. My sheep hear me. I know them. And what do my sheep do? Somebody. They follow me. My sheep follow me. They don't go follow something else or someone else or some worldly thing. My sheep follow me. My sheep follow me. My sheep hear me. I know them. They know me. And they follow me. And Jesus has said this numerous times in the Gospel. He says, I give them eternal life. And He says, no one can snatch them out of My hand. We covered this just a few months ago. And I can't, I can't help but tell you what Paul wrote in Romans 8. You already know. But Paul said, neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Friends, your security, your eternal security is in the Godhead. David said it in the Psalms, The Lord is my shield. He is my rock. He is my fortress. He is my deliverer. He conceals me. He hides me. He lifts me up on a rock. He is my hiding place. He surrounds me with songs of deliverance. He is my refuge and my strength. He is my strong tower and my refuge of shelter under His wings. He's a good shepherd. And nobody's going to get one of His sheep. Nobody. If you belong to Him, you're His. Nobody can have you. Nobody can have you. Our eternal security is in the Godhead. John 11. John 11. We're reminded that Jesus is 100% man and 100% God. He stands in front of the tomb of Lazarus, his friend. He's been uh, dead and decomposing for four days. And Jesus weeps. We see his humanity as he weeps. Yet, as he weeps, yes, the God-man knows he's about to raise this man from the dead. But this is the mystery and the complexity of the incarnation of the God-man. And so Jesus weeps. He weeps and then He unleashes divine power and He calls Lazarus out of the tomb. He calls a dead man out of the tomb and it's a beautiful picture of what He does to every Christian. He calls us out of, out of the darkness and into the light as, as Peter says. Out of, the, out of the darkness into the marvelous light. He calls us out. He calls us out of sin and death and judgment. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in Me shall shall live even if he dies. And I've always loved John 13, 1. It says that Jesus loved his men to the end. He loved them to the end. You may remember John 13, 4. Jesus arose from dinner and he laid aside his garments and taking a towel, he girded himself about, poured water in a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet. I am is washing the feet of sinful men. You know, I'm always amazed at how jaded so many of us are. It's like music sometimes. It's like, oh, I've heard that a hundred times. Friends, if you ever stop being awestruck by the incarnation and by the fact that I am is scourged and nailed to a tree, if you ever cease to be awestruck by that, you're in big trouble spiritually. I want to say that to you. 
You need to get on your face before the Lord. And you need to ask Him to restore the joy of His salvation. The joy of His salvation. Then you remember that the Lord Jesus, he, 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 he spends that last night with His men and He just teaches them. He gets them ready for His departure. And He says, I give you a new commandment. Love one another even as I have loved you. And He said, I will ask the Father and He will give you another Helper that He may be with you forever. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Me. And if you ask Me anything in My name, I will do it. If you love Me and you keep My commandments, I will love you and disclose Myself to you and make My abode with you. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in Me bears much fruit, but this is by this My Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so prove to be My disciples. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. If you were of the world, the world would love you, but you are not of the world. I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Jesus tells His men that I am leaving you. It's time for me to go and return to the Father. But Jesus says, I'm giving you everything you need to walk like a son of God. I've given you everything you need. And Jesus is saying, do it passionately. Do it, follow me radically. Follow me wholeheartedly. I've given you the Word. I've given you the Spirit. And I've given you a call. Follow me. Follow me. And then John 17. Jesus prays audibly so His men and so we can be in on this intra-Trinitary communication. Eternal life, it's not about being religious, it's about knowing God, John 17, 3. Knowing God. Believers are a love gift from the Father. We saw it nine times in the Gospel of John. Believers are a love gift from the Father to the Son. 77 more sermons right there. The Son inter in in earnestly intercedes for us. And the Father, He says, Father, I pray that You keep them in Your name. The Father's holding us. The Father is holding us. Our security is in the Godhead. And Jesus intends for us to have His joy made full in us. I always marvel at this. Somehow, and Jesus, the way He speaks in John 17, some mysterious way, the redeemed will be enveloped and will somehow mysteriously taste the glory and the joy of God. Brothers and sisters, this is awesome. This is our inheritance. How can we be lukewarm? How can we? Jesus says, The redeemed are loved even as the Father loves the Son. We're not loved in some subordinate way or some lesser way as the Father loves the Son, as, uh, as the, love that, the perfect love that flows inside the Trinity. We're caught up in that. We are loved as the Father loves the Son. And Jesus says in John 17, the hour has come. And it's, as we've talked about, it's that awful and wonderful hour where the Son of God will be nailed to a tree. And, and I just want to close by saying, is it not breathtaking to you? <laughs> if it's not, go home and get on your face before God. God means for it to take your breath away. 
that He loved you like this. He means for it to take your breath away. And He means for you to live like it takes your breath away. Let the whole created universe stand in speechless awe. I am has come to save His people. I am has been nailed to a tree. And oh yeah, I am doesn't stay dead. I am defeats death. And He victoriously comes out of the tomb. And I've been asking this for a couple of months. And I, I'm sorry I keep saying it. I know I'm repetitive. But I can't help it. Who is a God like ours? Who is a God like ours? And I shared with you last week, God answers it in, in Isaiah chapter 45. There is no one like me, He says. A righteous God. And a Savior. And we also talked about what He said in, in Jeremiah. He's loved His people with an everlasting love. So I could not not preach one more time. I, I think I'm done. But I may not be done. So don't be surprised if I'm not done. Because I am in awe of this book. I am in awe of this God. And I had to say to you one more time. I want you to... Meditate deeply on how beautiful our God is, how stunning He is, how spectacular He is, how magnificent He is, how wonderful He is, how awesome He is, and how breathtakingly desirable He is. And here's your God. I'm going to close with this. John saw Him in the Revelation and John said, I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the numbers of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea, and all things in them, I heard saying to Him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb be blessing, and honor, and glory, and dominion forever and ever. Let's pray together. Who is a God like you, oh Lord? There is none. There is none. We give all praise, glory, and honor to the name of our Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. We're going to celebrate the Lord's table.